Reconciliation. What does this mean to you? This is the Journey with Care podcast, where we navigate honest conversations about faith, culture, and loving our neighbors. I am the host, Melvina Gabosh, and I am an Indigenous lover of Jesus. In studio today, we have Wendy Park, Executive Director of Care Impact. I just want to first say thank you for coming on the show and coming to be a part of the podcast. Good to be here, Melvina. This is working. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> We're finally here. Yeah! We're finally here after after a long a long stretch of you know all the prep work to get here. We're finally here. I know, and I am excited for it. So, yeah. So, Wendy, I just want you just to feel free and just introduce yourself, who you are, what you are, and I guess a little bit about Care Impact. Well, similar to you, I am also a lover of Jesus. I am not an indigenous lover of Jesus. I am. Grew up Mennonite, actually, and uh, grew up in a Christian home. And yeah, it's it's been a long journey to get to this place, and maybe we'll get into it yet. But um, I am a wife to Harold Park. We got married 17 years ago, and we met in seminary, actually. And he's born in Korea and grew up in Vancouver, and we met here in Manitoba when he was doing his counseling psychology, and I was in intercultural studies uh, doing my master's. And we stayed here in Winnipeg and we have been raising our family here. We started off with two children, two biological children, a boy and a girl. And God has just been adding to our family. So we actually have six children uh, oh, as wow. of now, nice. as of last week. Actually. I have six children. <laughs> well, there we go. We it's got fun. In common. It is. <laughs> Never a dull moment. Even in the pandemic, I have not felt isolated. And I have my children to thank for that. Uh, I have six children, ages, uh, the youngest is 11, the oldest is 29 and two grandchildren, uh, two and six, and a dog and two cats. And Wow, you have a full home. Full we house. have a full house, but it's been it's been a fun journey to, to get here. Well, um, first and foremost, I want to ask you a question. You know, the podcast is about reconciliation. It's about, you know, having hard conversations. Um, so one question that I would like to ask you just to kick us off is what does reconciliation mean to you? Um, reconciliation for me is a is it, it's a loaded term that I think often within my Christian experience hasn't fully been explored to the extent that we could. And I am passionate about reconciliation, but what does it mean to me? It embodies so much more than just hug and forgive and let's uh, just get along. Um, it's actually, to me, it's about peacemaking, not so much peacekeeping, like keep things under the surface. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I think to be a peacemaker, actually, you got to stir things up a bit. So for me, reconciliation is is actually not being divisive, but it's actually going to the core of the issues. It's being honest and real about where things have been historically. It's being honest with our own self, reconciliation with ourself and, and understanding ourselves. It's reconciliation with God and making peace with God. It's very holistic. And I think reconciliation is a lot of work. I think it's for everybody. It's not a political thing only. It's not just a denominational thing only. It's not just what we read in the news and it's not just a t-shirt we wear. It's actually, how do we love our neighbor? It actually needs to have action. And I don't know, I'm not, I'm not doing justice here. Well, you did really good. 
So you had said that reconciliation is about ourselves too. It's reconciliation with ourselves and reconciliation to God. Yeah. So can you kind of explain your journey and how you were able to see those tidbits of reconciliation within your own personal journey? Yeah, that's a great question. Never thought of it in that way, the way you framed it. But what got me here actually in Care Impact and why my husband and I left our jobs to start this has something to do with my own reconciliation, actually, and what God has been working within me. I had a wonderful childhood. I'm not going to lie. Had a good family upbringing. So many things that people would want in their childhood. I was blessed to have a healthy upbringing. But I grew up in a Mennonite tradition, uh, Mennonite culture, and though my parents were very supportive of just being myself, myself did not fit within the typical Mennonite tradition of being, <laughs> being quiet and not heard, to not lead, to serve behind the scenes. And that's just not who I was. And I tried that and I'm like, why is this not fitting? It's like wearing the wrong shoe size. And I'm like, but darn it, I'm going to make this work. Something just did not sit well with me. I didn't want to be one of those feminist advocates that I'm trying to prove my point because I wasn't trying to prove my point. I just wanted to be, as I came into the, my understanding of who God created me to be, it wasn't fitting in with who my tradition said I should be. Um, God has given me a heart for justice, to speak up for the underdog. God has given me a heart to, to lead and not because I want to, I say, God, why do I have to lead everything? Well, I'm not asking to lead, but it keeps getting assigned to me. It's like, you're almost setting me up for this, but why would you set me up to something that is actually not acceptable necessarily within our society? And, and so I had to come to terms with who God made me to be, make some tough decisions for myself and feel comfortable in my own skin. And sometimes that, that gaining comfort in my own skin actually is discomforting for me my old self and also the, the people around me, I couldn't help it, but God made me to lead. <laughs> and you are a great leader. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm trying, leader. I'm trying, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I, I feel a lot of freedom now. Yeah. Reconciliation does bring freedom. It's not about just doing hard slugging stuff and, and like just bearing the cross all the time. Actually, as we embrace reconciliation, it's hard to die to self but it actually is freedom. Mm -hmm. I believe that. I agree with that. You know, reconciliation has so many different, you know, meanings to different people, what it has been for them. And this is why I asked that question because, mm -hmm. you know, our, our answers are all different, right? For sure. And I, I truly believe that, you know, in the spirit of reconciliation or even in what God has created through reconciliation is to be reconciled back to ourselves, you know, right. who we are in Christ, who God has created each and every one of us to be in this world. And we, first we have to come into that identity of yeah. self, that yeah. identity of this is the purpose that right. God has called you for, right? Yeah. You know, and that can be very challenging sometimes. Well, and what I found actually is it's not that I'm rejecting my history or my culture or any of that. Actually, the opposite. I've been having to figure out what does it mean to be fully who I am, who God created me and the lineage that God and the blessings of generations after generations of followers of Christ. What does it mean to be fully myself in the culture that I was born into or the, the, the identity, the people that I was from of European descent, right? What does it mean to be fully that and fully Christian? Yes. I don't think it's one or the other that, oh, I'm going to just 
reject my minute. You know what? You and I, we just had my mom's Zumabarsh, for goodness sakes. And, <laughs> and it buns. was delicious. <laughs> and I'm proud of that. I love my Mennonite roots and the heritage that I've been given. But that alone, disconnected from who I am in Christ, that's not reconciliation. Yes. Jesus entered into Judaic world and he fully was Christ and he was fully Judaic. And I believe that God allows us to be fully ourselves. I'm the only white person in my family. And sometimes I get the term Karen because I'm the only white mom. I'm like, hey, I can't I can't change the fact <laughs> I'm white, okay? Like, that's just who I am. And God doesn't want you to change the fact that you're white. I don't think so. Because he created you, mm-hmm. who you are, in the image and the likeness of him. And yeah. he doesn't make mistakes. And as we embrace, as I embrace my whiteness in a healthy God-redemptive way, in a reconciling way, it doesn't bring me into superiority or white supremacy or all these things that we can hover over. I have to recognize my privilege. That's a thing. Um, But I also have to recognize that if I don't embrace who I am, who God, my Asian and African family members all around my immediate family, how am I displaying the likeness of Christ to them that they can fully embrace who they are? Yes. If I'm suppressing myself, yes. if I'm not reconciling, how we can't bring other people through reconciliation where we're not willing to go ourselves. So yes, I have to embrace the warts and all of my people, the history, the good and the bad that we often don't like to talk about. Uh, but I have to embrace that and reconcile my story that God has created with that. So that I can actually lead others in in reconciliation as well, and and that's hard. It is. It it can be it can be challenging. But you know, like thinking about reconciliation and what God has done in in my life. You know, being an indigenous woman, but also a woman of faith and a woman that believes in God. You know, growing up, it was I guess in a way taboo, in a way to be indigenous and to you know be indigenous and have these roots in this culture, but also to be an indigenous believer of God. You know, God has recently in the last couple of years shown me, you know, the, the, the power of, of identity and the power of, of he doesn't make mistakes. You know, he created me who I'm supposed to be and he created you who you're supposed to be. So he created me with my, with my background, with my culture, with, with that identity and those generational roots, right? As, as he has done for you. And, you know, we don't need to be ashamed of who we are. We don't need to be ashamed of where we've come from. We don't need to be ashamed of our family or, you know, the things that maybe they have done that have been wrong. You know, we don't we need to be ashamed. We don't have to carry that, right? right. But we have to be able to acknowledge it yeah. and, and come into the fullness of who we are in Christ, in that identity. I believe that that is the reconciliation of, of ourselves back to Christ, right? That reminds me, actually, like we were both attending the the Nate Symposium, North American Indigenous Institute for Theological Studies. They had a symposium in Halifax and many things I walked away learning from that community, a rich, beautiful community of, of believers that are doing exactly what we're talking about, finding their roots and understanding to be fully ourselves and fully made in the likeness of Christ. And what does that look like? It challenged me, actually, as one of the the few non-Indigenous people attending that conference. It challenged me to think back on my roots. Because we often think, okay, well, I'm Mennonite, right? And we've been here for many generations. We're European. That's it. And this is our Mennonite culture. But I actually realized God was revealing to me that 
there's some reconciliation needing to happen. Not just let's not pathologize the reconciliation needed in on Turtle Island in Canada. Um, that is necessary with Indigenous people. Absolutely. But if we're going to be real reconcilers, if I'm going to be a real agent of reconciliation here in this land, I need to see if there's reconciliation needed within my people. And, and it brought me back to the pre-Reformation. I'm not going to get all historical on us here, but the Mennonite people were formed and they became a culture. They became a people group of people. Pre-Reformation, everything was church and state and, they, and you were mandated and, and they were under the rule of the Catholic Church. And the Mennonite people, they formed a group. They said, we want to have a new understanding. We want to have, be able to be baptized as believers, as adults, like they were Protestant. And, and so they became a people. But what I realized is I think there's reconciliation needed within the Mennonites, within their own people, where they come from in the pre-Reformation. So to me, it's bringing me back to, I'm doing ancestry.ca. I'm looking at our genetics and like saying, where did we really come from? and trying to find peace with that, because I think there's actually a reconciliation with the, the Protestant and the Catholic. And I've had dreams and visions about this in the last while. God has been bringing me people from all of these, these places out of the woodworks and really revealing to me that reconciliation doesn't just happen to say what went wrong with the indigenous people. We want that ultimately, but if we want true reconciliation, we actually got grudges. We actually got wounds, generational trauma. Um, the Mennonites were persecuted and they were they were brought into different lands and they, they got, they flee different things. They went through a lot of trauma. And I think we actually have unresolved trauma. I don't know. I'm on this journey I, and hopefully I can do f future episodes and I'll tell you what I'm learning, but it's, it's going deep. Awesome. We are all on a journey. We're all on a journey. And, and I think that's the heart of the podcast is just a journey together, you know, in a safe place, you know, yeah. in a safe place to have conversations and to have um, safe dialogue and to go back and forth and, you know, cause we're all on a journey. Absolutely. That's what it is, right? So we're journeying together with care. Amen. Mm -hmm. What are some of the pieces of hope you can share with our listeners that reconciliation is happening, that you see that it's happening? Yeah, I'm seeing reconciliation happen, not just on a high level, like let's get along and the 94 calls to action. All of those are true and needed and those are trajectories. Um, but where I see it actually giving me hope is when somebody in the pew receives an opportunity to help a mom uh, who is reunifying with her child. And we see a congregation wrap around that family with a crib, maybe a warm food. Um, I'm seeing it hope when we're working with child welfare agencies, who would have thunk, right? Like that child welfare and the church could have these deep conversations. It's not going back in history. It's actually doing something new. It's saying, we have messed up in the past, but how can we pursue reconciliation in an honest and good way that brings actual healing? Just because we've got our hands slapped doesn't mean that we back off of children and family. God has called us to, to care for children and families. God has called us to be reconcilers. So we can't just say, oh, we've got our hands slapped historically, so therefore we back off. We're coming back to that table and saying, how can we journey with care? How can we journey in a good way forward? And having more people, more voices around the table, that is giving me hope because we're going deep and we're seeing new pathways form, new trust being developed, new families being reunified. We're seeing youth that are aging out of care, that churches are, are wrapping their arms around them in, in a way. We're seeing churches now have an appetite to learn. 
and this is a biggie, probably something that keeps me up at night is our churches in a posture of learning, our churches in a posture of wanting to reconcile rather than being the fixers, rather than being the saviors. Are we taking our capes off enough so that we can actually love in the name of Jesus? And when I see that happen, when I see people serving, knocking on the door and loving their neighbor with practical needs and not because you have to come to my church or attend my program, but just because God has called us to care. But when I also see churches saying, we need help learning about trauma care, we need help to understand poverty. We have had a judgmental heart. We didn't even know it. We have felt the need to fix and to create programs where the community hasn't even been asking for it. Um, and so I always say the church needs to take the student seat before we take the pulpit. And when I see pastors sit down in that student seat, when I see congregation members who do desire to care, but when they sit in that student seat and learn from that single mom, they learn from that youth, they learn from the agency, they learn from the Indigenous chiefs and elders. When we can sit and listen, that's probably the ultimate hope that I feel for reconciliation. And that's a starting point. We need to be like children. We need to learn. And I've seen a lot of good fruit out of that. Like relationships are happening. We all need to be able to be be taught, right? Yeah. yeah. A teachable heart. Yeah, teachable heart. And I guess at the heart of Care Impact, Care Impact exists to connect and equip the whole church to effectively journey in community with children and with their families in hard places. Mm-hmm. From your experience, what would it look like for the church to journey well with others? I think there needs to be a whole lot of humility. Yes. Cultural humility. I would say even spiritual humility. That doesn't mean we don't believe what we believe and that we're not convicted, that we have surety of our salvation. Um, But spiritual humility in the sense that we are all made in the image of Christ, whether you're Buddhist or or atheist, or a different denominational uh, representation. But that spiritual humility, I think, is is necessary. And just humility in general. I, I think of Second uh, Chronicles, I believe, 714. I often refer to this as, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And what does that mean? It's not to bash ourselves. It's not to say, oh, us Mennonites, we screwed up. Or, or we, we've got a long way to go, or we're, you know, that's not humility. That's, that's false humility. Yes. But humility is, but for the grace of God, I'm here. And just that sense of we're all made in the image of God. So they shall humble themselves and pray. Pray is, is such an active word. It's not just an activity or a thing we put into our church bulletin in an agenda. Prayer is a lifestyle of communion with God. Are we hearing God? Are we speaking to God? Are we uttering the things and declaring things that are unwhole to be whole? Are we, are we asking, do we need God? I think one of the, the tragedies within the North American church, and I, it really came out to me because I, I did a lot. Of, I haven't gone into all my story, but spent a lot of years, did my undergrad actually in a seminary in South America with indigenous leaders and, and the church there in church planting. One thing that I learned there is that they showed me what it means to really need God, not to serve God because that's our chosen religion, um, but they needed to need God. And I didn't know that I needed to need God too. I do too, even though in North America, I don't have the same constraints or the corruption or the the unrest and the poverty that we experienced there with them. But I didn't know that in all of the things that I had and the luxuries I had here in North America, 
I still need God. And that's why it's easier for <laughs> the, the camel through the eye of the needle, because that's sometimes our biggest barrier, even in the church. Do we really need God? So when we pray, I'll get through this verse yet, I promise. But when we pray, do we really need God and the community of believers as we pray together where two or three are gathered? There I am also. Are we seeking God? And will will we be hooped if God doesn't show up in that situation? And we need to get back there. So if my people, they shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's all part of that. Are we really seeking God and turn from their wicked ways? And I'm like, I can say, okay, yeah, I shouldn't have ate that extra piece of cake and I, I no smoking, no drinking, no doing this and that. And we often think of those are the wicked things that we should just, we should stop gossiping. All of those are true. We are called to that. But wicked ways is also systemic. Yes. Let's face it. We are born into systemic racism. We are born into depravity of man. And so the wicked ways isn't so much a, we don't have to be so fragile about it. You know, I am born into wickedness and I have to acknowledge that. Yeah. And so we have to turn away. That's actively turning away and that's a pursuing God. And then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. And that's where we want to go. We sometimes want to just skip the, to the heal the land part and not do the inner work. But back to your original question, that's reconciliation to me. We have to do the hard work. Well, thanks for sharing that. Sorry, that's a long answer. <laughs> it, it was a good answer. It was a good answer. You know, I, I, I love hearing, you know, um, everyone's different perspectives and different answers when you ask these questions, because it comes with a journey, right? It comes mm -hmm. with experience. It comes with, you know, your own personal, you know, journey with the Lord and your own culture and, and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So I just value everyone's insight on what reconciliation means to them. So when did you encounter God for yourself? In my family, um, extended family, we sometimes have this joke that we had no choice but to be Christian. We were born into it. Many generations of pastors and leaders and missionaries and all kinds of things that we're just, it was sort of, we embodied it. And so I don't remember never knowing who God was and growing up in the church and loving God. I think it was sincere. I don't know at what point as an early child that I would have sort of the proverbial ask Jesus into your heart type of thing. I don't recall that, but I re do recall journeying with God. But I would say probably in my teenage years, I I really encountered God in a, a newer way. And I keep encountering him. So I, I don't even know. I, I see these little touch points along the way. But being in a, in a, as my teenage years, I remember making the faith my own and encountering God in a very personal, real way getting baptized. Um, I think I was around 17 or so. Yeah. And so I had different experiences where I saw the power of God and I knew that he was for me and he was real. Just even he keeps bringing me into some, some situations where I sense spiritual warfare. And one time, one of the earlier reminders of God's power was when I was in a room where somebody was practicing the occult and I didn't know it, but I knew in my spirit, something wasn't right. And I started praying the Dickens and they actually sent me out because they said their, their powers weren't working as long as I was in the room. They singled me wow. out. And I'm like, okay, God. Yeah. You're working here. And, and here's men and a girl with no charismatic experience, but God was reaching and his powers were like, oh my goodness, like Miss Marvel, like superpowers, you know, but it was just like, oh my goodness, this is something that I didn't learn in Sunday school. Flannograph Jesus didn't do that uh, through his people. And yet I saw the power of God. I've had witches come to me and say, what light do you have? And what is this? And, and 
I've had different spiritual charismatic experiences that I can't make up. That's not what I learned. Uh, dreams and visions. And so those experiences keep helping me reawaken to the journey God has me on. So speaking about charismatic experiences, <laughs> I love the word charismatic because, you know, I'm often referred to as the charismatic Christian. <laughs> um, I've known that my whole life. I've, I was I was born and I was raised in that. So it was nor- normal to me. Yeah. And so to come into a different sector of this Christian world, you know, being labeled as or being called or, you know, being yeah. a charismatic Christian. So how is that for you to have those charismatic experiences coming from, you know, maybe a background of that wasn't the norm? Well, it certainly had my attention. And and I guess the more I didn't pursue those experiences, so I wasn't trying to follow and get an experience. But as I was reading God's word, as I was sleeping, you can't do much about that. You go to sleep and God w- wakes you with a dream. Like what they were was God was pursuing me and I wasn't pursuing the experience. And so I think that's where it's kept me having more, you know, because I'm not pursuing the experience, I'm pursuing God. And as I pursue God, God can show up however he wants. He can speak through a donkey if he wants, you know, and so he can show up however he wants in my life. And I guess that's how he's wanted to give me that experience. And it's also allowed me to see outside my own tradition where I didn't see that possible. I will also say that it's not necessarily fully understood in the broader Christian community, but I... I've come from Mennonite background. I also spent many years in Salvation Army and learned a lot. And God has worked through that in my life. And I learned a lot about justice. And they really allowed me as a woman leader to lead. And God has used that. Again, not a charismatic denomination, but God has used that to not just, they didn't give me a spirit of justice. I had that already, but God used them to allow me to find my voice and my leadership to lead what God has got. So that was an experience that actually became charismatic because it, it freed me more reconciling myself to God. It allowed me to be who God created me to be. And then I, I've gone to a non-denominational and was very charismatic. And what I found there at Gateway South, where I've been a part of the last eight years, why I found connection there is because they had language, they had experience to what I was experiencing. I'd never seen it in a denomination before. It wasn't, again, I wasn't pursuing that experience. It just connected with what I had been going through and continue to experience. But here's the thing. I don't think God is just parked in one denomination. I've also been having encounters with the Catholics now in Ontario And the Holy Spirit is moving there through the contemplative experience there. And I've seen God work and speak through the Catholics. And so all of these things, they might not be what you think of like speaking in tongues, charismatic, but I've seen charismatic experiences in all of those, including the men. Like I I had dreams and visions then already. I just didn't have a place to connect with it, but it has given me the foundation I needed. And all of those, the spirit of God, I think, Charisma is the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit I've seen present in all of them in bits and pieces. None of them are perfect, but that's my charismatic experience. That's awesome. I I truly believe that too. You know, God is not a respecter of man Mm -hmm. and he, he's not just one place and not the other. He's, he's omnipresent. So he's everywhere. Right. 
And so I think it it's just that individual connection to who he is yeah. um, that allows us to experience him in a deeper way. So care impact. Let's talk about care impact. Yeah. Let's talk about the heart of care impact and and you know what led you and your husband to to start this nonprofit and what is what is the mission and what is the value system of care impact? Yeah. So back in 2011, uh, my husband and I were traveling in Korea with our, our one son and, and daughter who were one and three at the time. And at this point, we were in full-time ministry in the Salvation Army. My husband was a, a prison chaplain uh, and I was an executive director for a family um, resource center in Winnipeg. And we loved our jobs. We loved our family. We were done as a family, um, we thought, and we were going to go visit his family. While we were there, God gave us something that we weren't anticipating, but God was pursuing us. He actually gave us a, the same dream and the same night that we woke up from. It's one of those things that wasn't just indigestion or eating too much kimchi. It was actually, it was actually like, God, I was not planning this. What are you trying to say? But it had everything to do with opening our home to more children and families. And this wasn't something we were serving people. Uh, in the prisons, we were serving families in the community. It's not like it was like a new moment. I'm like, oh my goodness, God wants us to care. It was just like, this was something more personal and something new that he was about to do. And so we prayed about it over the next year and we were on this journey. We we decided, you know, we are going to open our home. God was bringing people to our home and they were staying with us. And each one of those, I look back, they were our professors, a mom that just had lost her children, another mom that was going through mental health and at risk of losing her children. So she moved in. Then we got our, our, our new daughter that came at 18. She didn't fit into the child welfare system and she became our, our third child. And we weren't even looking for her, but God brought her to us. And as he was doing that, uh, he was also working in our lives. He's like, I don't want just your home to open up. He was opening our eyes to the need. We were jarred with this question, where is the church in these spaces? We are serving God 110%. And there's never, we can't hire enough people to serve all the needs in this community. We can't have enough homes to, you know, like there's not enough programs and program money out there and, and frontline ministries and social services to address the needs that we were seeing in the community. And we kept asking ourselves the question, where is the church? And so we we quit our jobs to actually research this and say, let's see what God is doing already across country. So as we quit our jobs, we got, got into the van with our family and we started traveling across Canada asking this question and looking and meeting with anybody that had anything to do with child welfare within the church, within the indigenous community, within the government, within secular organizations. We were on a hunt to see, God, where are your fingerprints here? Because we know that your word is true. We know that the church is called to care for those that are oppressed, those the children and families, and our statistics aren't looking good here. And the church is shrinking back. Where is the church? And he said, I want you to start this nonprofit. And I said, there's enough nonprofits out there. I want to just find one that's already doing something like this and we can hang our hat on that and we'll do that. But a uh, long story short, there wasn't that organization that God had put on our head. There's a lot of good organizations. In fact, they often didn't know about each other, but there wasn't an organization that would be connecting with what was behind the scenes and connecting the church into these, these organizations that were doing a lot of good things. And so that's where Care Impact, it actually started as Forever Families of Canada. And the, the short story of that is it was an accident name 
because I created a Facebook group just to research Canadians and how they responded to child welfare issues. And so I would have this post and it was just generating a lot of people. Um, and so it just became our, our charity name until last year when we rebranded to Care Impact. So yeah, we're pretty passionate about, we aren't the front lines. We just want to find those who are doing the front lines. They know where those children and families are. And we're helping the church. We're building that bridge so that the church can actually serve not a separate competing program, but saying, how can we serve your children and families? So the social worker, they can say, well, I know a mom. She's got 50 of them. She'll say, I know a mom that I would love to reunify, but she's going to need some of these supports. Yes. And we can actually go and say, well, we know a church that we're training to walk in a good way through trauma care, through uh, reconciliation discussions, through through understanding poverty. We know a church in her neighborhood that can help make this happen. And so that's sort of the, the, the journey we've been on. And it's just led, it's just growing from there. And it's led us to start the care portal and the academy. So, so we're kind of creating it so that we can scale it across Canada. What is the academy? So the academy, yeah, it's it's a collective of faith-based professionals. They are maybe social workers. One's a professor in a university. One's a therapist or a couple are therapists. And they do this for a living, but they're multivocational. But they have trauma care and they care deeply for the church. They want the church to be at those safe places of, of care. And churches aren't always trauma safe. In fact, they mostly are not in our experience uh, here in Canada. And so this trauma care team, they are putting on workshops and seminars and master classes, training professionals and, and church leaders, uh, training camp staff, training everyday Christians to know about trauma care. So that's one of those streams that we have. We also have understanding poverty which is some some learning experiences that we've actually partnered with other organizations that are doing a great job. And we partner with them to um, allow the churches to be trained by them in how to understand poverty in a child welfare context. We also partner with Indigenous organizations in training about truth and reconciliation. And we, we bring invited guests like Howard Jolly, for example, who shared his experience in in residential schools and creating safe places to talk about these things and to educate the church. And then we also um, do conversations and topics around healthy collaboration. How do we as denominations work together and how do we work with social services and with indigenous organizations in a good way? So we talked about the academy, but what is the care portal about? Yeah, Care Portal. It's a platform that allows us to work with agencies and frontline social service providers and frontline ministries and the local church. So it's a, it's a platform that we didn't create, but we actually partnered with some really cool Christian techies in the U.S. Um, called Care Portal. And um, they've created this platform. So essentially, a social worker who has a huge caseload, just imagine social worker, and he or she may have a mom that wants to be reunified with her children. And there's some needs that aren't being able to be met or they don't have a supportive community. They're able to enter a need, non-identifiable in a confidential way. They're able to identify the need, put it onto the portal. And our participating churches who we're also training with the academy, they're able to receive those needs in real time and able to respond. So maybe it's a crib. Maybe they need a car seat. Maybe they need a few things repaired so that they are, are ready. This is just one example. We've been helping teens aging out of care. 
and they've got nobody, no village, but the, the church is an ecosystem ready to happen if, if they're equipped for it. And so we've been able to basically be working behind the scenes with this portal, uh, connecting the service providers with the church, always around the needs of the child and family. And we're not coming up with business and saying, oh, I think they need a backpack. No, we're, the social worker is able to say to the mom, what are some of the things that you identify that you need to raise these children? And, or we talked about that car seat. Do you think we could do that? So it's always working with the child and the family to help those needs. We don't come up with the items or the, the needs. Um, that comes from the child and family working with the social services. So those are vetted needs by social services. Yeah. So right now we're working in Winnipeg. Um, with uh, several agencies and, and organizations. And we also have a region in the Southern Manitoba area. We're also in Saskatchewan and Regina, working with an Indigenous organization there and some churches. And then we have the Niagara region in Hamilton. And our vision for this, it can go na nationwide. But right now we're working these five areas as we build those bridges between service providers. The, the problem we're addressing here is multifold. So often churches want to care, but we actually don't know that there's a mom at risk of losing her child. We actually don't know that the kids in a group home are down our street. We don't know that there's a group home. We don't know that that Johnny's being is aging out of care and has nowhere to go and that he'll be couch surfing and be swooped up into a gang. We don't know that that girl is going to be swept into sex trafficking. We say, oh, Lord, bless the children and help those. And, and, and internally, we're saying, government, you should do a better job. We just don't know that they're right in our own neighborhood or right in our backyard. And it's not always the fault of the church. Privacy acts and, and our individualistic culture causes us to really be isolated from knowing our neighbor. But we're sort of combating that. Care portals allowing vetted needs from the agency so that the churches know that there's a child and family. And we've been able to work with them to help personally go to those doors and, and support these children and families. So with the Academy, you have four learning streams. What are those four learning streams? So the four learning streams we have are trauma care. We have understanding poverty, culture and reconciliation, and also healthy collaboration. And how we got to those, we realized that if we are going to invite the church to wrap around these kids aging out of care, if we're going to invite the church to help bring reunification or invite the church to support a family in crisis, that we actually also needed to equip the church so that she could su succeed. We didn't want to repeat history. Um, sometimes helping can be hurting. And we wanted the church to be informed. So when we talk about trauma care and we're inviting the church into helping children and families, the church has often been very strong in theology. The church has been um, really good in creating doctrinal value and value statements, things like that. But we don't often find within the church a sentence with God and the Bible and trauma. We don't hear child welfare and the Bible spoken of in a, a in a sanctuary situation. And so if we're going to love our neighbor across Canada, we have to know how to integrate our faith in these areas. And so we looked across Canada and we said, you know what, if there, what are some universal things across Canada? If the church had these things, if they could grow in, in understanding these things, what would those be? 
And that's why we've come up with those four learning streams, because we said if, if the church could be more trauma competent, that would help. If the, the, the church had gained a better understanding, more holistic understanding of poverty, that would help. If, if they're going to really understand reconciliation, that would be tremendous because look at the disproportionality uh, of, of kids in care. And if we're going to help the church enter into these spaces, we've got to get along. So just simple, healthy collaboration. I love that you say healthy collaboration because I feel like that is what's so needed, you know, yeah. in these conversations or in the room or around the table is healthy collaborations. Who is missing at the table in these discussions and what would it look like to make room for them? I feel that in my experience, surprisingly, it's been easy to bring people in the front lines to these discussions because they know that this discussion is needed. They're waiting to talk to others, to invite other people to the table. Child welfare, Indigenous leaders, those that are in frontline ministries, they know this is urgent. But you know who I find most missing is the church. Is the church. And this is why our focus is the church, right? It's not because we think they're the superiors. We, we really want to bring them to the table. And so it's pastors and leaders to have those difficult conversations. We don't have to know it all. We don't have to come and and have the answers. But are we willing to journey with these people and be sitting at this table and have these honest, difficult conversations? So I would love for pastors to rise up and be part of this conversation. And everyday Christians. There's also a thing where there's like, we've had in our experience, it's like, oh, well, that's that's the Park family. They they bring in children or they help in that way. That's their thing. So anything child welfare related or or social justice related, that's like, well, ask the Parks to do it. No, I actually think the whole church is called to care, not just the pastors at the table. I want that other 80% that aren't involved. I would love for them to to come to the table as well. Um, this table is for everybody. What do you think gets in the way of making room for the church at the table? Fear. Fear. Absolutely. Absolutely fear. And we might not call it that. We might actually call it something more cute, like discernment or I'm waiting on the Lord. But can I just challenge the church? We don't have to pray about this. God has commanded us to care. God has commanded us to be reconcilers. Don't pray, should I get involved? Pray, how, Lord, have you created me to get involved? Yes. That is who we are. And it's just a matter of living out who we are in that. And fear disguises itself in all things. But at the end of the day, we're fearful of making the, the wrong decision. We're fearful of saying the wrong thing. We're fearful. And fear is of the enemy. Perfect love casts out all fear. So let's pursue love. Let's pursue God. And perfect love will cast that out. And you know what? I might say something wrong, Melvina. You might get offended. But we love God. We serve God. We can, we can get over this. Yes. And I can learn from it. And I, I have to be remove my fear of making mistakes. Guess what? I'm human. I've read the footnotes. I'm human. I will make mistakes. But if I pursue love, I am going to be perfected in love. But I'm not going to get closer to love if I'm being held back by my own fear. So, so yeah. Well, Care Impact, Care Impact is, is making an impact. And I just love the heart. I love the heart of Care Impact. I love the heart of, you know, just the vision and the mission of it, of equipping the church to connect with families and children in, in hard places, because there, there are, there are a lot of families and children that are in hard places. And as the church, we need to learn how to effectively come into relationship and come into connection with, with these families and be able to be 
the help that God has allowed us, you know, are is calling us to be. I do. I do really appreciate the heart of care impact. And it's the heart of God, honestly, not because we came up with a grand solution. If God hadn't woken us up to do this, we would continue to love doing our frontline ministry. Nothing wrong with it. We need people in the front lines, but God's heart is to connect the church yes. and to equip them and, and that she rise up. And we're just glad that we get to be part of this. <laughs> I always say to my staff, we get to do this. It's yeah. fun. What an awesome vision though, for God to give you and your husband, you know, to come alongside in the background, Yeah, you know, in the background and not really wanting, you know, to be the front line, but the background to be able to, to help and, and to support the frontline workers. Yeah. You're never going to see a storefront of us. In fact, we actually had a building almost given to us 10,000 square feet and we gave it up and we said, no, actually God wants us to be in behind the scenes. We want to root for the church. We want to root for the children and families and we work remotely and doing this all online. It's fantastic in a pandemic because we are already set up for that. That's awesome. You know, let's let's talk about kind of our relationship, how God brought us together, you know, Wendy Park and Malvina Gabosh, how he brought us together. And, you know, today we're sitting here on a podcast. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that journey. Yeah, well, it's interesting. And it was through a mutual friend, Naomi, that said, hey, you need to meet Melvina. And Melvina said the same to you. And so we just got on a Zoom call. This is this was through the pandemic, I believe. We met up and I just instantly, what you were sharing and as you were talking, just deep connection with, with your God story mm -hmm. and how God brought you there. And it wasn't even a sense of how could you work with Care Impact at all. It was just like from one sister to the other. What is your your vision or what is what are you hoping that the podcast, you know, achieves or what what kind of conversations are you hoping that the podcast is able to have or, you know, the guests yeah. that they're able to, you know, bring on like, you know, I don't know, I just want to kind of hear your heart on it because we are founded by Care Impact. Yeah. yeah, my my heart is for the church and I want to do anything I can to bring the church together. God's heart for unity for the church is so big. I can't even pray about the church without bawling my eyes out because God loves the church and he's given care impact, a deep love for the church. And we know that Joe in the pew and Sally in the pew are not going to come to a masterclass trauma care class, even though that they could be excellent at welcoming those that are going through a hard time. They're not equipped and and the church is not equipped, but how can we bring church around the table to bring that unity around the table? I actually believe it's not a new thing. Jesus did it all the time. He did it through story. He did it through real experience and honest conversations. And, and I, I really want to invite the church to, to be part of this podcast, not because we are looking to get famous or get a following, but I want the church to hear the conversations that I get to hear as I'm journeying with God in the church, the broader church, the indigenous brothers and sisters and, and, and people in, in social services and in the everyday neighbor, I want them to hear those stories because once I hear those stories, I can't be the same. Once the church is around these conversations and they feel safe to listen in and to participate in these stories, the church will be moved in a good way. And so that's my heart for this podcast, that we can come together and share those stories and make a safe place for us to discuss those things. You know what? God has created me to be an Enneagram 8, hardcore, loving justice, 
And I want to chew that elephant in the sanctuary down. It's not because I'm antagonistic towards the church because I love the church. God loves the church, but he's, he loves the church so much that he wants to deal with those difficult issues, but with grace and dignity and through people's life experiences, God is, is slowly addressing these things. And I I really hope that the podcast could be one platform for this to happen and that we can invite everybody to this table. Yes. I, I, I believe that, you know, God has, has made a way for this platform by the podcast to just be birthed. And I I strongly do believe that, you know, the right people are going to come on to the podcast and we're going to have, you know, those difficult conversations and we're going to, you know, start talking about the things that need to be spoken about, you know, and, and stop living in silence. Stop, you know, you know, being ashamed or afraid to have different opinions, to, you know, to have different, a different thought process and different perception or, because we're all unique. We're all different. God has created us, you know, we all have a different story. We all have a different upbringing. We all have a different background and we all have a different culture. But when we come together in love, when we come together in unity, when we come together in honor of our brothers and our sisters, um, to have these conversations and to start talking about, you know, the hard things that we've, we've shied away from for so long, you know, there's going to be power in that. There's power in stories. There's power in, in unity and there's power in when our voices come together. So I'm really looking forward to what the podcast is, you know, the stage that the podcast is going to create and, and for, yeah, there's going to be a stage that that's like everybody's living room. Yes. And there's always room for more. And we've had some amazing conversations like, you know, like, I wish that's what, you know, like I wish we had the record button, you know, uh, in some of those conversations, but this is why we created this space, right? A safe space to be able to come and have those conversations and bring people around the table and just to learn, learn from each other. And I'm so glad it's you leading this conversation. I think God has given you the gift of communication and and has called you to be a leader in this nation. And I had long before I knew you, I had this sense and this prayer within me that God is going to raise up the church, but I, I was praying for Christian indigenous people called by God to call up the church. And yeah. I'm not saying that it, that I can't as well, but I feel like we have to do this together, linking arms. But I believe that there's an anointing on you and, and others to, to raise us up to another standard. I love it that you are leading these conversations, Melina. Well, thank you for, you know, just giving me the opportunity mm-hmm. to to lead the conversation. And I don't know, to, I guess maybe to see the value that God has put into my life and, you know, the story and, and the experience and, and just to give me that platform, you know, and, and, and to allow me to just be me. <laughs> allow you already me. have the platform. I'm just <laughs> glad we get to do it together. <laughs> allow, allowing me just to be me. And I think that's what we need to do yeah. in the body of Christ is just allow each other to be unique, mm-hmm. beautiful creations that God has created us all to be. You know, we all have, we all, we all have a, a certain purpose and an identity in him. And something that we're we were called to do for the kingdom of God. Yeah. Right. So when we come together and we support one another and, you know, we just allow God to to get the glory, to yeah. get the glory ultimately for him to get the glory out of it. And that's a challenge actually to all our listeners right now, that God has created you to have a purpose. God has created you in the image of God. And it's not going to look like Melvina. It's not going to be my story either. But God has created your story, a redemptive story. 
and he is calling you to rise up. He's calling you to live in the calling who you are and not abandoning your past, but seeing how God could redeem your past and use that for the glory of God. If you like baking, bake like crazy and share it with your neighbors. If you like plumbing, if you like whatever it is that you have in your hand, this is the call to action. This is reconciliation, is to live in the calling that God has created within you and to rise up. Sometimes, Melvina, you and I have talked about this. It feels like you got three heads because it's not what people expect. But live in your calling. (laughs) Yes, live in it. Rise up to to what God has created each of us to be. You will be amazed how God is going to show up in those situations. That is reconciliation. I just want to thank you, Wendy Park, for being with us on Journey with Care. Um, I love the conversation. I just love your insight and your wisdom and, you know, just your your fearless approach on, you know, just loving your neighbor and coming together and in unity and just that heart to have these conversations. And so I just I thank you for being here. And we had a good conversation today. And thank you, Melvina, for leading this discussion. I am so excited. I can't wait to get into the next episodes and and listen and learn. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Journey with Care podcast, where paths connect over real-life stories and honest conversations. We hope you continue to join us on this journey of faith, reconciliation, and loving our neighbor. Be sure to like, follow, and share. Special thanks to host Melvina Gabosch, ARC podcast engineer Johan Heinrichs, and donors who help make this show possible. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church across Canada to effectively journey in community with children and families in hard places. Learn how Care Impact is transforming the way churches engage with child welfare with our Care Portal technology and academy training. To support this podcast or to learn more about us, go to careimpact.ca or click the link in the show notes. We're so glad you are part of this journey with us as we journey with care, even in the messy. Until next time.